Welcome back to I Am Journal Club. After a hiatus over the summer, we are filming again. Our topic today is very familiar to those of you who work in the hospital DVT prophylaxis. There's a new meta-analysis. Will this change everything? Our guest today couldn't be more suited to discuss this. Dr. Anthony Brew is an academic hospitalist at the VA in Boston. Let's jump right in. Dr. Brew, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. So before we start today's talk, um, I just wanted to make two quick plugs. One for your latest tutorial. So for uh, those uh, viewers or listeners who haven't been inducted yet, a tutorial is a series of tweets that form a tutorial. And the latest one was on uh, the Kappa over Lambda ratio in end-stage renal disease. And the other is your podcast, um, which is called The Curious Clinicians. Uh, and we'll put both uh, links in the in the show notes. So just bearing the name of your podcast in mind, the one that you co-host, I wanted to start by asking you, why should clinicians be curious? Uh, there's an infinite number of reasons, but I'll offer just a couple. Uh, the first is that um, by being curious, you're going to find answers to clinical questions that'll maybe help you provide better care. So, you know, for example, uh, ben, you mentioned a, a tutorial I wrote yesterday about the kappa lambda ratio in normal renal function and in uh, end-stage renal disease. I think having a deeper understanding of why it changes over time may actually make me more able to diagnose a patient with a plasma cell dyscrasia in the future. And the only reason I looked up the answer is because I was curious about it. And I was I was interested in it. Was it enough to know a fact? I wanted to know the why. But I think the second reason we need to be curious uh, among many um, is that curiosity will uh, allow us to ask the appropriate questions of our patients and not uh, ask a singular question and get an answer, oh, the chest pain started yesterday, uh, but maybe ask the follow-up question, well, what were you doing yesterday? And so it really can provide us um, the tools we need to, uh, to acquire the information, not just from the medical literature and, and from science, but also from the patients that we care for. So that's something you want to stimulate in, in your trainees? Yeah, and not just trainees, all, all the people around me. Mm -hmm. Great. So let's uh, switch gears and talk about, uh, talk about today's study. The topic is prophylaxis against deep vein thrombosis, and the paper is a systematic review with a meta-analysis published by Egg and colleagues in a May issue uh, of the VMJ, and we'll uh, put a link in the show notes. So to uh, summarize the methodology, it's a systematic review with a network meta-analysis, that's the type of meta-analysis where you incorporate both indirect and direct comparisons and create a network of studies and basically end up using more data. So the population um, were all patients admitted to hospitals with acute illnesses, so no elective surgeries, but everything else. And the active uh, treatments were the low molecular weight heparins, inertiparin, uh, deltaparin, and so forth, uh, unfractionate heparin, um, or classified in a low and an intermediate dose, and then uh, DOARDS, both uh, oral DOARDS and also a, a direct 10 inhibitor fondoparinol. Uh, so um, there's two comparators, a placebo, and then because not all trials were placebo controlled, and no uh, DVT uh, prophylaxis, so neither chemo nor mechanical 
prophylaxis it's hard tonight so my first question um, about the study uh, do you think it's ever appropriate not to use a, a placebo control group maybe in in a real world setting when uh, you look at effectiveness and efficacy is already known and you you just want to quantify the effect effect in a patient group or patient groups that you actually intend to use it in so for this specific treatment of um, chemoprophylaxis for VTE, right? So, so DVT and pulmonary embolism, could we get away with doing a placebo control trial now? I think the answer is yes, but it would have to be a, a low risk population because there's currently no data available, no good data that I'm aware of for patients who are hospitalized with an acute medical condition, but who are deemed to be low risk for VTE. So in all the key placebo-controlled trials uh, from the 90s and 2000s that looked at this question, they included patients deemed high risk for uh, VTE due to their medical illness. Uh, now, I'll tell you, we in practice um, prescribe chemoprophylaxis to patients across risk groups based on the, 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 the benefit profile of patients who are deemed high risk. So I think we, we could do that trial because I think there's equipoise as to whether or not there's benefit in low-risk patients. I think there'd be, it'd be a harder sell to do a placebo-controlled trial in um, high-risk patients. Those we may talk about, there are problems with some of the original trials in terms of the outcomes they included. Perfect segue to the endpoints studied here. Um, so in this meta-analysis, they looked at mortality. Um, they looked at uh, symptomatic uh, veno, uh, VTE, um, venous thromboembolism, and then they looked at some safety endpoints. Um, what do you make of this choice of, of endpoints in this meta-analysis? So I'm really pleased that they, they selected symptomatic DVT and PE, uh, because I alluded to the um, problematic nature of some of the original placebo-controlled trials, right? And there are three key placebo-controlled trials, again, from the 90s and 2000s, the first one being Mednox. And the problem with these trials is they included uh, PE, they concluded symptomatic DVT, but they also all included asymptomatic DVT. And the benefits seen in all three of these trials was really driven largely by a reduction in asymptomatic DVT. And Ben, I suspect you, and certainly I, and, and I think most others don't go around on hospital day five, six, and do an ultrasound on every patient looking for an asymptomatic DVT. And in fact, most asymptomatic DVTs don't progress to symptomatic DVT or PE. So there's real questions as to whether or not that outcome is a acceptable outcome to determine whether or not we provide this therapy to everyone. So this study specifically removed those patients. And I believe if they couldn't ascertain whether or not the patient had symptomatic or asymptomatic DVT based on the methods, they just re removed all DVTs. And so this really isolates, is there a benefit for, for PE? And for symptomatic DVT, I think the two key VTE events that we would care about. So I would say thumbs up for the methods on that score. Mm -hmm. In terms of the results for the efficacy endpoints, it looks like only some of the groups reached statistical significance. They used a Bayesian method to calculate credible intervals, which is basically the Bayesian version of confidence intervals in the forest plots. So for DVT-PE in the placebo control, 
only low molecular weight heparins at an intermediate dose reached statistical significance. None of the treatments lowered mortality. Noting that these problems are credible and was a very large, uh, do you believe these results that they found? Do you think that the patient population might be too heterogeneous and that might um, explain the wide confidence intervals and we need um, more focused studies? I, I think that um, the findings for anoxaparin are consistent with other meta-analyses and are um, consistent with the fact that we have in many ways the best data for that class of agents, you know, anoxaparin probably being the most commonly used. Um, for fondaparinox, uh, we just don't have that many studies. And so you could look at the point estimate and say, oh, this is the best of the four classes of agents, right? Um, but I think that would be premature. We just don't have uh, at nearly as many studies. I think it's a, uh, certainly an acceptable option and that there are hospitals I've practiced at where that was the standard uh, treatment for chemoprophylaxis. And then for sub-Q heparin, I think this is also consistent with prior meta-analyses and, and frankly, the fact that that agent, meaning sub-Q heparin, either BID or TID, the studies in which it was tested are, are a lot older and have um, uh, a little bit more shaky methodology in terms of the way they did randomization, for example. And then the DOACs, you know, they their risk-benefit ratio for this this specific indication, I think so far has been um, underwhelming. Uh, I was expecting to maybe find a little bit more of a of a benefit here with the doses used, but we're just not seeing it yet. I think this kind of affirms a lot of what we've seen previously uh, in terms of the you know best ev available evidence for anoxaparin and probably should be the standard of care for for most patients uh, who do receive. Uh, chemoprophylaxis. Yeah, and then on the flip side, um, unfortunately, heparin and DORT also had the highest risk for bleeding. So uh, there's uh, all sorts of side effects uh, that you also wrote about, not just including bleeding, also heparin-induced uh, thrombocytopenia, and then uh, the patient experience, basically getting shots every day, uh, often without even being explained why exactly. Yeah, I mean, I would love to have seen DOACs um, sort of move up and, mm -hmm. and have a better fit, a better risk-benefit profile because the ability to not require subcutaneous injections would just be marvelous. Um, but if you're going to choose a, an agent that you have to inject, it's much more patient uh, and nurse-centered to do anoxaparin, which is once daily, versus uh, unfractionated heparin, which again is either twice uh, or three times daily, depending on um, on where you work. You wrote uh, an important article in the Journal for Hospital Medicine for the Things We Do for No Reason uh, series, which I believe you also co-edit. Uh, so with this meta-analysis, uh, is the score now settled? Uh, is chemoprophylaxis acceptable for everybody again, or do we need more tangential data? Do we need more focused data? So I don't know that we need more data. I, I think we have enough data to, to say a few things. One, when compared to placebo, um, the agents that, that this meta-analysis supports, so anoxaparin and fonparinox, um, or low molecular weight heparins more generally in fonparinox, um, they reduce the risk of VTE events. Um, the, the biggest one is asymptomatic DVT, but as I've said, sort of let's put that aside. 
I think this meta-analysis and, and other meta-analysis support the, the claim that they also reduce the more specific event of pulmonary embolism, the, I would say the more important of the two VT events. Now, what's um, unaddressed in this particular meta-analysis, and I think is important, something that I uh, highlight in the, in the paper we wrote in the Journal of Hospital Medicine, is the magnitude of benefit is low. You know, so the event rates for um, symptomatic PE, we'll use that as an example, is low. It's less than 1%. And so even if we reduce it by a decent amount, the absolute magnitude of benefit uh, stated in a way, the absolute risk reduction is low. And so you'll see in these meta-analyses, um, a number needed to treat uh, in the order of many, many hundred, sometimes uh, more than five or 700. So I'll sometimes say to residents, uh, it's quite likely that you go through all of your internal medicine residency and never prevent one PE uh, with DVT chemoprophylaxis. Does that mean we should not give it? I don't know. Uh, I think for um, high-risk patients, I still give it. And I would say the risk-benefit ratio does overall favor giving it. But because the benefit is, is so small in absolute numbers for high-risk patients, and we have no data supporting it for low-risk patients, I strongly believe we should not give it to low-risk patients. And so, you know, Benny said she would just give it to everyone. I absolutely no. Uh, we, should, we should actually either use Gestalt if you're comfortable with it, or some kind of a risk stratification tool to determine who ought to get it. There was going to be one next question. So these high-risk groups include patients who have had a prior VTE, who might have other uh, thrombotic events, for example, uh, ACS, um, and maybe certain infections, um, cancer, um, maybe a few other conditions. There's also risk scores. Is, is there a particular risk group that you think of beyond these? Uh, is there a particular score you recommend? Should people just go by what's, uh, what's included in their EHR system, if at all? Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do is to, to go with what you have embedded in your EHR and hopefully you have something. If you don't, uh, I would recommend just using any of the available ones. There's is at least two or three that have been externally validated mm -hmm. um, and that I would say are generally reliable. But that is better than than just saying, oh, they're an acutely hospitalized patient, and therefore they're high risk, and, and you give it to them. That I think we want to avoid. And this um, this study, you know, doesn't necessarily answer that question because it doesn't include low risk patients, um, but uh, it does you know provide additional evidence that if you make the right choice of agent, you can reduce VTE events. So not taking together this question of whether we should do another placebo-controlled trial in a more focused group versus we know it probably works in, these, in this overall group and it probably works better, but we want to know exactly how good it works in, in high-risk groups. Um, do you think it would be acceptable to do a, maybe a prospective observational study to look at uh, the real world effect uh, of uh, all of these treatments or maybe just uh, a certain ones in, in high-risk patients? So we, we have that data already. We, you know, we have population level data 
looking at um, hospital centers that um, are really good at giving chemoprophylaxis, less good and really, really bad, right? Just based on the rates. And then they try to um, control for patient level factors, though obviously they can't do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, and unfortunately, uh, the, uh, the, the benefit for VT prophylaxis, even in high-risk patients, you know, in these studies doesn't, doesn't show much there, right? So say it another way, the patients that have really, really low rates of chemoprophylaxis do just as well in, quote-unquote, preventing VTE as the hospitals that have really high rates. So that data is already available uh, to some extent. So I, I, I don't know that we need to, to do that study again, unless mm -hmm. someone identifies a flaw with what has already been done. Yeah, I believe there's a lot of data out of Michigan. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. They've done a lot of work on this. So what would you believe is, is an appropriate cutoff uh, to use uh, chemoprophylaxis uh, in terms of absolute risk reduction or number needed to treat? I don't know that, that, that I can give an answer that applies to everybody. Um, you know, there, there are some scoring systems. You know, if you look at, for example, the CHAZVAS score, right? Um, you know, if you did a study, for example, where you said uh, you randomized um, people to take a survey and they have two options. Option one is they are given the CHAZVAS score and they're asked, would you administer a DOAC to this patient? And the other group is randomly assigned um, just the actual, actual number. So 3% risk, annual risk of uh, a embolic event. Would you give a DOAC? My guess is you're going to get different answers to those two trials. And so what we often do is we, we just follow the guidance of guidelines or of these scoring systems and don't necessarily um, say to ourselves, well, is a 50% absolute risk reduction from 2%, you know, is that good enough? And, the, and part of the reason for that is I think there is variability in how people would answer that question. And so for me, I don't know that my opinion as to whether or not a number needed to treat a 500 is a good enough bet or a bad enough bet. I think individuals can answer that differently. Yeah. I am less enthused about it than most, but that doesn't mean that, you know, Ben being excited about it is better or worse than my opinion. Yeah. Understood. Uh, this is a more of an individual decision by uh, the patient and their doctor and or their provider. And we might need, um, we might also have lower numbers needed to treat if we look only at uh, symptomatic VTE cases. So that would be something interesting to, to uh, calculate and to make people aware of. Is there like another message you want to uh, give to, to people about uh, DVT prophylaxis? Have they looked at this for so long? What I'll often say to um, to people when I teach about this topic is, um, in patients who do have a, a VT event during or after a hospitalization, um, it's more likely than not that the that event had nothing to do with whether they got VT prophylaxis. So there's, I think, a lot of guilt and shame and frankly blame when a, a VT event occurs during or soon after hospitalization. You know, one of the first things that's done is we look to see, well, were they getting uh, an oxyparin? And I want people um, to realize that 
it, let's imagine a patient had an event and they were not getting the anoxaparin. Um, I think there's good data suggesting that that event was just as likely whether or not they got the, the drug or not. Most, actually most in-hospital events for VTE occur in patients who are receiving prophylaxis. So there's going to, people feel shame, people feel guilt, and people are blamed. But I want, I, I, I think a, a key message is to sort of pause a little bit before uh, particularly blaming other people. Uh, it's hard to tell people not to feel shame and feel guilt, but um, I would hope that they sort of, that's mitigated a little bit. Um, so final question, should then uh, recommendations by the Joint Commission uh, in terms of uh, DVT prophylaxis be changed? Uh, do hospital um, policies need to, to be changed? Do we need to do more academic detailing in the center? And also the guidelines, they, are, they don't just seem to align with such an interdisciplinary topic so that it concerns multiple societies. Does this all need to be updated and, and maybe streamlined a little bit more? Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't have a fully formed answer particularly to the, you know, whether or not the Joint Commission should change their standards. Um, you know, if this is baked into an EHR and a, and a recommendation that is to be trusted is um, offered, then it doesn't take as much time or mental energy. I will say that people often ignore the guidance. It'll say, oh, this patient's low risk, and they'll say, eh, I don't know, let me just give it to them anyway. So I, I don't know. Um, I think uh, hospital-associated VTE, when you look uh, nationally or internationally is a huge issue. Um, and even if the, the number needed to treat is, is really high, you know, in aggregate, this event still happens and we can still prevent many of them nationally um, if you believe it works and it probably does. So, so I'm, I'm gonna sort of unfortunately uh, punt that question because I don't have a good answer yet. I don't know. If you put me on a committee, I'd probably uh, uh, let's just let's just play that game. You put me on a committee, and I had power. I'd probably say it shouldn't be a part of hospital level metrics. Um, but if by having it as a hospital level metric, people think about it a little bit more, um, there may, there may be some value there. So how's that for a non-answer? Um, I think it's uh, the perfect answer to end this fascinating conversation. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Bru. Oh, my pleasure. Here are three takeaways from our conversation with Dr. Tony Brew. First, he really liked the endpoint symptomatic VTEs in this meta-analysis. Second, he was unhappy that dots didn't do better because the patient experience of getting one subcutaneous injection a day or more is suboptimal. And third, regarding whether DVT project still makes sense, the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle. Use Gestalt or with Stratify and use DVT prophylaxis in higher uh, patients in higher risk patients only. Thank you for watching this episode of I Am Journal Club. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will also be coming out with a podcast. See you in the next one.